In your worship folder today, um, there's not a separate outline. There's, there's just the, the verses um, in the outline, um, but they'll also be up on the screen. They're in here. Um, there's some space in here if you, if you need to take some notes. If God says something to you that you need to write down, um, kind, of, um, kind of important today. Um, we're in uh, a series called uh, Revolution. So you say you want a revolution. And if you watch the video closely, we had our Beatles song in there with them playing <laughs> on the stage. Um, um, so far, we have looked at, all these are online you can look at. We've looked at um, our identity and we've looked at our capacity, the security that we have in Christ. We've looked at our peace and we've looked at the, the whole mystery of the thing. And that was last week. Um, I was going to be done um, uh, last week. Last week was part five of a four-part series, and I was going to be done with that last week. Um, but then I was finished with it, and I decided that um, we finished with Ephesians 3, and I could go in now to Ephesians 4 in my quiet time because I try not to, Mike calls it double dipping. I try not to double dip. When I, when I spend my time with Jesus, I don't want it to be preparing for the message. There's other time to do that during the week, so I find something else that I can, I can do. And so I decided, well, I'm not going to preach on Ephesians 4 through 6, so I can go ahead and do that in my quiet time. And so as I'm doing that, I, I sense God, uh, God's prompting over the first day and then over the second day, and it was like he was saying, you didn't finish. You, you started last week, but last week could be misinterpreted. And, and you didn't finish. See, I thought I was done. And it was like God said, no, you, you can't end without the, the one thing that's next. So this week, this week dovetails, um, or, or should I say it goes hand in hand with last week. And with that thought in mind, go ahead and play the, the next video. you, but that song makes me happy. It just makes me happy. I, I, it brings me back to a, a, a simpler time. Um, I want to hold your hand. You know what this week is about? Unity. It's about unity. Think of it this way. Hand in hand with other believers being the church. And you say, well, that's what we talked about last week. Stick with me. As we dive into this today, I believe that you're going to get where it's headed and why it's so important. So we're just going to look at six verses today from Ephesians chapter 4. They'll be on the screen. Starting in verse 1 of Ephesians 4, he says, therefore. Now, I can never just keep going after the word therefore is there. I tell you this every time. When you see the word therefore, what do you do? You go back and see what it's there for. Okay? Therefore is very important in the Bible. It's, it's, a, it's a continuation. It's like he's saying... 
here's how the dots connect. So you have to know what the dots are so that you know how the dots connect. It's kind of like a cause and effect relationship with what came before it. So when you start reading somewhere that says therefore, you have to know what the therefore is therefore. So what came before it? Well, it was, that was last week, you know, uh, among other things, the oneness and the wholeness, the peace with God, the, the peace with others, grasping and experientially knowing Jesus' love, being filled up with and made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God, and knowing that he is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ever ask or even think. Therefore, on the basis of what we've looked at, he says, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord. So we see the therefore, but then Paul reminds them who's doing the asking. This is going to be a big deal, what he's going to say. And we have to remember, he was in prison, and they knew this. He was in prison for sharing the gospel to Gentiles like them, like the people in Ephesus. That's the reason that he was in prison. He was arrested for that and put in prison, and he's reminding them on the basis of all that I told you about our relationship with God, our relationship with each other, this peace, this unity, everything. He says, I remember a prisoner for serving the Lord, which is sharing the gospel with them. He said, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. So because of all that came before, and on the basis of who he was, and, and that he'd certainly earned the right to be heard, he begs them, and here's his plea, live a life worthy of your calling. Live a life worthy. The word worthy, it, it's, it's it, the Greek word axios, like where we get access, and it means equal weight. Your calling and your conduct should be in balance. You know, like on, on the axis, uh, literally, worthy means bringing up the other beam of the scales. So you have the scales and you have it like this because your calling is so great from God. He says, live a life worthy of your calling. It should be the, the same weight as your calling. That's a big deal because we were called from sin and we were called from all of that ick in our lives to stand before God clean and have this amazing relationship with him. And he said, live a life worthy of that. That calling refers not just to our salvation, not just to a believer's salvation, but our union in one body. That's what he just got done talking about. That means the conduct of a follower of Jesus involves both our personal life and our responsibility to other believers in the church. So he says, therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. And at this point, some of you are thinking, holy cow, Tim, if you keep going a couple words at a time, we're going to be here all day. I, I know some of you are thinking that. I just wanted you to see the connection between last week and this week. Between what Paul has written so far to the people in Ephesus and what he's going to ask them now. So he's saying, extremely important because of all that's come before. That's in the first three chapters of Ephesians, the first five weeks of this series. Here's what Paul is begging us to do, imploring us to do, how to live. He says, first the attitude and then the actions. In verse 2, he says, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. I use this verse all the time when I do premarital counseling. 
because it's very important in that relationship to be able to make allowance for each other's faults because we love. That's true in any relationship, and that's true in that context, but this context is the church. The, 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 the universal church, he says, the attitudes we are to always have, and he's begging us to have these attitudes, humble, gentle, and patient, always, even when it's really hard to do, especially when it's really tough. Humble, we get these because we hear them all the time, but we really don't. Humble is the opposite of pride. And it's not this false humility, you know, doing something so that everybody will go, oh, not really, you're amazing. That's false humility, okay? It's recognizing who we are in God's program. It's just seeing, here's how God has placed me in this big picture of his program. And Paul lists humility first because of his emphasis on unity. Because pride always promotes disunity. You can have a group of people, and if one person is struggling with pride, there's going to be disunity in that group. Pride promotes disunity. Humility promotes unity. It's also to offset, remember we talked about their past pride. Both groups had this pride, and to promote obedience, depending, dependence on God. And the supreme example of this is Jesus. You can go back to Philippians 2. We won't go there now, but it talks about Jesus' humility. And so he is begging us, first of all, to have the attitude of humility and then to be gentle. That's kind of a weird thing. We're not really sure. I mean, I'm sure what that means. But the first time you read it, it's like, what does that mean? Gentle. You know, we've heard the word often meek. And the problem is we sometimes equate meek with weak. And those are two completely different things. Gentle or meekness is the opposite of um, self-assertion, like tooting your own horn If you're always having to say how good you are, that's not gentleness. That's not meekness, okay? It's it's the opposite of rudeness. It's the opposite of harshness. It's not about you all the time. The word suggests having having your emotions under control, but not weakness. It's actually like, literally, it's kind of like the happy medium between somebody who's angry all the time and somebody who's never angry. It's not saying never be angry. Certainly not saying be angry all the time. Because someone is controlled by God is angry at the right time, but never at the wrong time. So there are things that I get angry at that I'm angry at the right time, and that's a godly thing. Unfortunately, there's far too many times when I get angry at the wrong time. And that shows that there is not enough control by God there. There's not a happy medium there. That's not gentleness. Jesus, great example of this as well, keeping his calm during unimaginable circumstances, just calmly walking away from some things, and yet displaying anger at the swindlers in the temple, you know, chasing them out with a chair, you know. So we're supposed to be humble, we're supposed to be gentle, and then we're supposed to have this next attitude to be patient. None of us like that. I would tell you right off the bat, these are good things for you to have. Pray to be humble. Pray to be gentle. Don't pray for patience. Because the way we learn patience is in tough circumstances. And if you want to learn to be patient, you can only learn it in the school of hard knocks. Patience is the attitude that never gives up. 
because it endures to the end. Even in difficult, tough times, it's the self-restraint that doesn't act quickly, that doesn't respond and react to a wrong. Something's done and it's a wrong thing, and instead of jumping right out there and, you know, um, lashing out at somebody or, or posting on Facebook, you know, um, I'm feeling so hurt right now. The opposite of patience. That's what that is. These attitudes of humility and gentleness and patience, these attitudes support unity among Christians. After listing them, Paul says how they're supposed to be lived out in our relationship. You have these three things, and then you're patient with each other's faults. Uh, you're patient with each other. He says making allowance for each other's faults. This is talking about holding back is what it's talking about. You see the other person's fault. You see the other person's wrong. You know it's there, but you're holding back. There's none of this personal vengeance stuff. And you do it as God holds us up. For the believer, it's, it, it calls for that God-enabled restraint allowing you to handle that situation according to God's will and not ours. It doesn't wait for the other person to, to step into the bigger shoes. Well, I'll do that when they do this. That's not what it is. It's they're wrong. You recognize that. You're making allowance for that because we understand that all of us are in that same boat. God's ability enables a believer to make allowance for other people's faults in the most difficult situations because we know we all have faults. And then verse 3 says, Then make every effort to keep, and that's a key word there, to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. It takes great effort to keep the unity of the peace. He says that. Make every effort. It's a tough thing to do. It does assume that the unity already exists because he says keep it. It's what we talked about in week four, being united in Christ. We don't create unity in the church, but we are to preserve the unity that God made by making us all one new people, working hard and making every effort to do it. And he says the duct tape, you know, the gorilla glue that holds it all together is peace. Remember, peace is not just the absence of hostility. The word peace means oneness. It means wholeness. We're together like we should be. Concern for peace will mean that Christians will lovingly tolerate each other, even when they have differences, even when there are faults, keeping that oneness and wholeness. Paul then, after he says that, he immediately jumps in and lists the seven elements of unity that are centered on, on the persons of the Trinity. And this is the basis for the spirit of unity that should exist in the body of believers. He doesn't even give us a connecting word like therefore or whatever. It says for in this translation, but that word's not even there. In the original, he just says, this is what you have to do. And then he jumps right in saying this. There is one body, verse 4. There is one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. That's about the spirit, the Holy Spirit. One body, one spirit, one hope. The body, one body, refers to universal church. That's, I call that the big C church. Church with a capital C. That's all believers everywhere. There is one body. There is one spirit. That's one Holy Spirit that indwells all believers in the church of all times, all over the world. There's one body, there's one spirit, and there is one hope. And that reminds us that all believers have a common hope. 
regarding that, that glorious future with God, a confidence that began at the time that you were called to salvation. Remember, the Spirit's the guarantee of that hope. So the basis of the unity first is the Holy Spirit. One body, one Spirit, one hope. Then Jesus, verse 5. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One Lord obviously refers to Jesus. Jesus is the Lord. He's the head of the church. There are not many lords. There is one Lord. That's Jesus. The Bible says one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Some will do it because they have made that choice here in this life. And they do it with a smile on their face and joy in their hearts as they kneel before him. Some who refused in this life will kneel in that life and see that Jesus is Lord. It will be too late for them, but they will recognize that. There is one Lord and all believers are under his lordship. All believers everywhere. One Lord, one faith, it says. One faith in the one Lord that unites all true believers. Faith here, it's, this isn't talking about the, the faith, all the things that we believe. This is a personal commitment to Jesus. And it involves recognition of who he is as son of God and savior of people. It's kind of like he's saying one allegiance and one profession of allegiance is what he's saying. So one Lord, one faith, and then one baptism. This one, it, it, it can be interpreted a couple different ways. But I believe there's one way that's fairly clear. One baptism, it might, all, it might refer to water baptism. That's the outward sign of what happened inside, the inward reality. It may also refer to a believer's identification with Christ and, and his death being baptized um, into the church, into that by one spirit. But that's like Romans 6, Romans 12, Galatians 3 talks about that. But it seems unlikely that, that, that this passage is referring to spirit baptism because Paul does the Holy Spirit, then he does Jesus, and then he does God the Father. And this is not in the section that refers to spirit, to the Holy Spirit. It's in the section that refers to Jesus. And nothing in the whole broader context of Ephesians 4 suggests that this is talking about spirit baptism. If it refers to water baptism, when we're baptized after we become a believer in Jesus, it refers um, then to the idea that this is a, an, an act that a believer demonstrates spiritual unity with the whole church. And that's what it was for them. It was a mark of identity. When they claimed Jesus, they got baptized. They were saying, I'm part of this. I'm identifying with this. Here's how I think this group of three may well be intended to just convey one single idea. He's saying, one Lord in whom we all believe and in whose name we are baptized. It's all about Jesus. So the basis of unity, first was the Holy Spirit. One body, one spirit, one hope. Then it was Jesus. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. And then from ver verse 6, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. So it's the Holy Spirit, it's Jesus, and it's God. One God. One God and Father of all. Over all, in all, and through all. That refers, obviously, to God the Father, and his relationship to all believers. Remember who Paul's writing to here. The church. The believers. The use of all four times is referring to all believers. Not all people. Not all mankind. These characteristics aren't common 
to all people. We've looked at this many different times. When it says God is the Father of all who believe, they're his children. John 1.12 says that. Galatians 3.26 says that. When we claim Jesus as Savior and believe and receive him, we become children of his. So he's the Father of all, believe, of all who believe, and he is over all of them as their sovereign God. He manifests himself in them, and he lives through them, through all believers. He repeats all each time because it's important that we get that he's the father of all believers. He is over all believers. He is in all believers. He is living through all believers. That's the first six verses. Here's the big thing, the big idea, just the main thing for you today. This is what God impressed on me this week in multiple ways. Some of them extremely serious. Some of them I had to laugh out loud because God has such a good sense of humor. I can't tell you what they are, but I would be, have been working on something for, for this message that God was working on in my heart, and something would happen, and my first response was not what it should have been. And then I sit back and like, oh, you're probably chuckling over this right now, aren't you, God? You have really good timing in this. And God impressed this in many different ways to me this week. And if you weren't here last week, you need to go back and listen to that. Okay? Um, we talked about oneness. We talked about the fact that the mystery last week, the, the big mystery was that now it's not just about Jews being in, you know, in, in or Gentiles being in. It's there is now one body. That, that was the big thing. And we talked about that last week. Okay? Oneness. Oneness is not... Um, we hear that, and it's too easy to think of that like the mystical new age, you know, the whole universe is one kind of stuff like that. It's not like the Beatles in, in their song with a, the amazingly deep and profound title, I am the walrus. I am he as you are he, as you are me, and we are all together. I think, was he high when he wrote that? <laughs> he was. I read his article, the first two lines of that thing were written on separate acid trips, and, and it was like, to makes total sense when I read that. He actually wrote that song to confuse an English teacher, because one of the little fans of the Beatles came up and said, my English teacher in class is going through the lyrics of your song um, as part of the English class to see what they mean. And so he thought, well, I can write something that nobody can figure out. <laughs> and it's kind of funny, it's from a... Um, uh, the, the Alice, uh, Lewis Carroll, Alice, and the, the fall down the hole, and you know all that stuff. And um, and there's the, the the he he said after he wrote this, when he said, "I am the walrus." That's where he got some of the lines from that Lewis Carroll um, poem. And, and John Lennon says, "I didn't realize until after the wall the, the walrus was the bad guy, <laughs> and I shouldn't have had that. It was some other thing that was the good guy." And he said, "I screwed that all up." But but it's it's an extremely popular song. Many many bands have done a cover of that. But I am he as you are he, and you are me, and we are all together. Guess what? I'm not you. You're not me. Some of you are saying, praise Jesus. <laughs> but we can have that oneness, that wholeness, that peace. Remember week four, we talked about peace. The whole idea of the groups that used to be separate being made one, being made whole. So here's the big thing. It's incredibly easy. It also is apparently very easy to miss for many, including me sometimes. 
This is not just about local church. It's not just about Journey North Church. Should we be one? Should we have this wholeness? Should we be exercising this stuff that we just read and making every effort to maintain this unity of the Spirit with the bond of peace? Absolutely. We should be rolling up our sleeves and getting into that. But it's not just about local church. When he writes this in this context, it's about the big C church. It's about the universal church, everybody on the planet who has believed in Jesus and received him as Savior and become a child of God. We talked last week about the mystery that God had revealed, that this good news was for everyone. And we talked last week about how even it was, it was even for those people. But we also talked about how those people means different things to different people, depending on your perspective. And we mentioned how some Christians and some churches look down on people for various reasons, and how Journey North Church has been called by God to welcome all people who need Jesus. And that's huge. So, here's the truth. And here's a warning. We can't look down on people. But we also can't look down on people who look down on people. And we can't look down on people who look down on people who look down on people. I have no idea what that means. (laughs) But we can't, we can't say, we're called to do this. And, and you're doing that. You're not as good. It's the exact opposite of what he's telling us. And it's so easy. For me, it's so easy because Journey in Our Church is such an amazing church. I love Journey in Our Church and what it does. But it's not the only church. And it's easy for me to think that the way we do it has to be the right way. And it's actually just a different way to do it. Some of you have heard this. You've been through this class of mine long time ago anyhow, um, I was walking across the bridge one day and I saw a man standing on the edge about to jump. I ran over and I said, stop, stop, don't, don't jump, don't do it. Why shouldn't I? He asked. I said, there's so much to live for. He says, like what? I said, well, are you religious? You know, you go to church? He said, yeah. I said, hey, me too. Are you like Christian or Buddhist? <coughs> he said, well, I'm a Christian. I said, oh, me too. <coughs> Are you Catholic or Protestant? And he said, I'm Protestant. Me too, I said. Are you Episcopalian or Baptist? He said, Baptist. Wow, me too. I can say this because I was a Baptist for many decades. Wow, me too. Are you Baptist Church of God or Baptist Church of the Lord? And he said, Baptist Church of God. I said, me too. Are you Baptist Church of God or are you Reformed Baptist Church of God? And he said, I'm Reformed Baptist Church of God. It's like, no way. Are you Reformed Baptist Church of God, Reformation of 1879? Or are you Reformed Baptist Church of God, Reformation of 1915? And he enthusiastically said, Reformed Baptist Church of God, Reformation of 1915. And I said, die, heretic scum. And I pushed him off the bridge. (laughs) The sad thing about that is how true it is. There was a guy stranded on a desert island for decades. He was there for like 20 years. 
a crew came to that island to rest, to, not to rescue him, to check it out for a survivor, you know, where they come with their camera crew and stuff to look everything out. And they find this guy has been on this deserted island in the middle of the ocean for 20 years. And so they have all the camera stuff there, so they're going to interview him, you know, TV, and so this could be a great story. And so they're standing there with the guy, and they see he's been there for 20 years. He's got all his buildings built. He's got all his stuff, and he's been able to live. And so they're asking him how you did this. He says, well, the first thing I did was built this hut. I said, I lived in this hut, and it kept me kind of sheltered from things. And I says, wow, that's really amazing. What, what's this hut over here? He said, well, that's the hut where I kept all my tools and all the, all the stuff that I used to work on things so it would you know, shelter a little bit. And they said, well, what's this hut over here? And he said, that's the church I go to. And I said, really? You, you're the only one on the island? You go to church here. That's very cool. What's that hut over there? He goes, ah, that's the church I used to go to. <laughs> I'm glad we can laugh at that. The problem is it's too true. Here's the deal. It takes all kinds of churches to reach all kinds of people. One of the things I do, a discipline that I've done since I came to Pine City, is um, I walk the streets. That sounds weird. <laughs> Uh, partially for exercise, but that's not how it started. What I do is I walk, I walk Pine City, purposely passing the churches that preach the good news of the gospel of Jesus so that I can pray for them on a regular basis. Because a win for any church in Pine City that preaches the good news of the gospel of Jesus is a win for Jesus. And so I would like every church in our community that preaches Jesus to triple in size. Do you realize we did the stats before we launched Journey North Church? If every church in Pine City tripled, we would still be reaching less than 20% of the people within driving distance of Pine City. There's a big job out there. And it takes all kinds of churches to reach all kinds of people. So I do this prayer walk in the summer and it becomes prayer ride on my motorcycle because some of the churches are a little bit farther out and it's easier to get past them. That's my excuse anyhow. But I purposely pray for them. I meet monthly with pastors from Pine City in a ministerial and the only thing we do is catch up on what's going on and pray for each other. Because the job's too big for one church. It takes all kinds of churches to reach all kinds of people. Now, there are differences between our churches. I get that. Unity does not require uniformity. We can have unity without uniformity. This is one of the reasons, probably one of the biggest reasons, why so many people get turned off by church and by Christianity. Because of Christians not getting along. What? Was it, who, who, did you tell me this? Was it Gandhi who said, this Jesus thing, I like the idea of Jesus. I love Jesus. It's his people that I can't stand. <laughs> There's too many people who aren't finding the good news because Christians are bickering and fighting. Here's the truth. For all churches who preach the good news of the gospel of Jesus, there is one body one spirit, 
and one hope. There is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. There is one God and Father of all, over all, in all, and through all. I'm not saying that churches should join together and meet together and do everything together. I've learned in my many years being in church that sometimes good fences make great neighbors. What I am saying, what God is saying through Paul, all churches and all Christians need to live and obey verses 2 and 3 from this chapter that says it's one body, one spirit, one hope. That's the, the, I'm gonna, I have it somewhere here. I'm going to read it for you. Always. When, when, when does this apply? Always. This is talking to all believers. That's us. We're only responsible for us. We're not responsible for any other church. I'm not responsible for... Well, I, I am. You're only responsible for you. I'm responsible for me and you because I'm the pastor. So that's why I'm telling you this, okay? Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Not just the people in your house or the people that you see at church. The people you see in the community that go to a different church. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort. Is it going to be easy? Nope. Or he wouldn't say make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit. You see, God made the unity when he revealed the mystery that the gospel is for everybody. God opened that up and made one. We are to make every effort to keep that unity And we do it by binding ourselves together in peace. That's the oneness and the wholeness, realizing that we have this whole set of things. And it's so funny to me. There are churches that this is is what they believe. And and, um, another church will say, we believe that, except this is different. This little part here is different. We can get along. It's like, yeah, what about this that we agree on? Why can't we... Express that unity to those people outside the church who need to understand that peace with God so that they can start having the peace of God. And they see churches who are meeting in different places, doing different things that look differently, that love each other. That demonstrate that love for each other. So the bottom line is, you can't look down on people. But you can't look down on people who look down on people either. I'd like you to bow your heads as we pray. Father, this is one of those things that it just seems so basic and so easy. But it's something that we struggle with. My prayer, Father, is that everybody who comes to or through Journey North Church would have a a real understanding of those attitudes that we need to have. They would have a real understanding of who we are in Christ and knowing that although we are different, it takes all different kinds of churches to reach all different kinds of people. Help us, Father, to work hard to preserve that unity, to love and to pray for other believers who are in this fight, even though they're in um, churches that there are some things that we might not agree with. Father, help us to realize what we do have in common so that there would be that unity there
that Paul was looking for. Not the uniformity, not trying to all believe the same thing, but following the one Lord. Following the one God, the one Spirit. And doing that in such a way that it attracts people to Jesus so they can find peace with God. So they can experience the peace of God. That oneness and wholeness and restoration of that relationship. Father, my prayer is that we would spend the rest of our lives working hard to be the shining example of this in this town. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand for the closing song. That's what we got. We got one. One life. Let's live it well. Am I on? I am. Sometimes I don't feel okay. Here's the thing. To dwell above with saints we love. Oh, that will be glory. To dwell below with saints we know. Well, that's another story. <laughs> as much as it depends on us, we need to live at peace with all people. That means we need to always be humble and gentle and patient with each other. Not just here, but other churches. What, what I say to people not everybody likes, really don't give a rip. If you believe in Jesus, have received him, and are proclaiming his message, we're on the same team. And I will do everything I can to live at peace and help and support those who are proclaiming that message. Because not everybody's a fit everywhere, and that's perfectly okay. So let's make every effort to keep ourselves united in the spirit, binding ourselves together with peace. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for that incredible um, peace and wholeness that we can have because of Jesus. I pray that we would make every effort that the rest of our lives, as far as it depends on us, that we would exhibit this humility and gentleness and and patience, and that we would show people and make Jesus look good. Thank you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.